everybody to the tag your it podcast special saturday edition for you guys in the live land um and so since it is saturday since things have been going on we have dave on the line like uh the times of corona that's right yeah. i'm here i'm actually in topeka kansas in my sister's basement so i feel really uh uh, a little bit displaced, but it is a beautiful place to be, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to get to call in to Adam and talk on the program. Hopefully, we've got a great program for you. It is my anniversary today, and so uh, while I am not with my wife, I will be with my wife tomorrow afternoon, and yes. uh, I'll be taking a little vacation, so that'll be a good thing, too. But, yeah, man, we got a, we got a lot of stuff to- yeah, coming up, um, so again, like last time... Um, that we were live anyway i talked about how i'll be uh going to a camp um with some uh youth group uh, with youth pastor that i've been together with with the, in the past and uh his youth group to talk about uh I, i'm gonna take uh what i did at sbu and talk about the gospel or the uh, great commission presupposition of apologetics um with the youth group kids so that'll hopefully get uploaded um i'll be able to record that and uh have that as a resource uh here on tag your it um, and then I know, Dave, uh, you've got a uh, conference coming up, right? I do. Uh, I'm going to be going to the, I think it's a little witnessing for Jesus conference um, at Sunrise Baptist Church. And so looking forward to that. That'll be, of course, after my surgery. So as you think about things, uh, those of you who listen to the podcast, those of you who watch the live stream, uh, be praying for Adam and I. We're going to be kind of doing things almost uh, in separate places, but also yeah. be uh, going into surgery, and hopefully the ongoing issue that I've had with my foot will disappear. That's at least what I'm hoping. It'll be a long process of healing, but God's so good, and I know that it'll be a blessing to be able to get healed. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, what what an amazing thing. But with that said, we've got some cool stuff lined yeah. up for today. Uh, obviously, it is the 4th of July, so we want to start with uh, a little bit of meme theology. But I do want to touch base on a few things. You know, Adam, uh, interestingly enough, we learned yesterday that the Washington Redskins are going to change their name. And I've heard a lot of commentary on it, but I haven't heard any commentary on it from a Christian worldview. And you and I have not really done like a bunch of show prep on that topic. But I do think that from a Christian worldview, it's not something that we should be angry about. Uh, We need to be careful in the way that we proceed with things. Now, of course, I do think that there is uh, some, uh, what can I say, uh, I'm trying to make sure I use the correct verbiage, there is obviously an element of uh, what I would term uh, social justice um, pandering about this. I am not going to pander to that, but I would say it is unequivocal that uh, redskin is a pejorative term. I'm actually Native American. I'm not offended by that personally, yeah. probably uh, because I've been socially conditioned to not worry about it. Uh, but at the same time, I think as Christians, we should recognize that when 
the world celebrates something like this, we can turn around and point things back to the gospel by saying, you know what, it is dehumanizing to uh, use pejorative terminology that would at all uh, downplay someone's image, uh, someone as an image bearer of God. And therefore, we can say this is actually objectively a good thing Whereas those in society can't say it's an objectively good thing. They can just say, well, we, we feel like it dehumanizes people. One thing I think that we do so poorly as Christians is we fail to look at things that are happening in our culture and then address them from a Christian worldview. As Christians, we can say objectively, this is a good thing because image bearers are being uh, put down, image bearers are being seen as less than human, and these derogatory terms actually mean something because they do devalue the image of God. And therefore, that's why this is a good thing. We don't have to have some type of social justice pandering or some type of virtue signaling. Uh, That is not where we are. And so I think that that is something that we miss out on over and over again. Yeah, and we just need to recognize as Christians, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, that was actually a pejorative term that we have uh, said, you know what, you can call us Christians. You know why? Because we are we are being conformed to the image of his son. So, you know, we can take what the world has divided, um, you know, and, and taking those categories as the world has reasoned themselves and put categories onto objective reality um or at least what they think is objective reality um we can take these things and they can be redeemed to where you know we can say that hey we are christians you use that terminology for evil you're you're trying to to uh, make a distinction here's christians and non-christians we're going to utilize this christian term in a pejorative sense and we can we can actually be like okay you can call us christians all day we're christ-like we like that. We're glad that you see that uh, we are Christ-like. So, you know, it's whenever we're, whenever we are going into this, we can't um, completely load every term with negative connotations, especially whenever these terms can be like, you know, what you mean evil against me, God means for good. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. There's a, there's a lot in this um, in this debate. But yeah, if they want to change the name to Redskins. Or from Redskins to something else, you know, more power to them. But we got to make sure that the intentions are there. They're not placating. It'd be really awesome if they could use this opportunity um, for the gospel and not just for uh, placating man. And that also brings me to another little point, and that is, and I have not heard anybody speak on this yet, and that's why I think these two topics are are incredibly important to understand from a Christian worldview. We're not virtue signalers, right? Christians need to be very clear that we're not virtue signalers, and at the same time, we need to make sure that what we say represents the gospel and represents the word of God accurately. And that brings me to the the Black National Anthem. Again, it's all over any sports casting situation. I've seen Christians complain about the fact that the Black National Anthem is going to be played week one of the NFL. Uh, Here's what I would challenge any Christian to do. Check out the lyrics from that. That is actually such an amazing, the the second verse of that Black National Anthem points people to the God of Scripture. Now, I have not done the background in looking at the songwriters, J. Rosman Johnson and James Johnson, to, to see where they are. 
But if you look at the second verse, it says, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou hast brought us thus far on the way. Thou who hast by thy mighty, by thy might, led us into the light. Who is the light there? It's Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. If the NFL is going to do this, as Christians, we should say, praise God that there's going to be these amazing lyrics uh, that are presented, right? about Jesus Christ. Uh, it is not a problem thing. Uh, sing a song full of faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of hope that present that the present has brought us. Again, uh, the key piece of this is, are you understanding these lyrics from a Christian worldview? And can you use them as a discussion piece to point those people and, who, and individuals who have a hard heart back to the gospel. Instead of complaining and bickering and being angry that this is happening, we should say, hey, have you read those lyrics? Look at how the gospel is presented here. It points very clearly to the light of Jesus Christ. And we get an awesome opportunity. I mean, an amazing point as a black spiritual, these folks are, again, when they look at the when you look at this black spiritual, it points to freedom, yeah, for those who were oppressed, but more importantly, it points to the light of Jesus Christ. And now as Christians, instead of being virtue signalers, we can be the opposite of those who are angry about this and say, look, praise the Lord that these things are here. Read the lyrics and use that as a method to point people back to you know what? Freedom is great. And we celebrate that in the United States. We fought a war to see people who were image bearers released from oppression, and but the greatest release from oppression, the greatest oppression you have, the greatest oppression anyone has is that they are oppressed by sin, they are condemned by God, and Jesus Christ is the way out of that. And so yeah. uh, we shouldn't be complaining about these things. We should be celebrating that now we get an opportunity to present the gospel. And Christians would simply do that. This bickering, this infighting would go away from the church and actually point people to the Jesus Christ who does free. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you're just saying that the Black National Anthem points to a different identity than what the world is trying to talk about. So the, it's not about being black. It's about being an image bearer of God. And yes, in its distinct form, black oppression, you know, if, if the world wants to oppress you because of your color, you need to, instead of be like, don't oppress me because I'm black, you don't oppress me because I'm an image bearer of God. So there's an identity issue. And so that's why the two sides are talking past each other because definitions, we live in a postmodern society where words are up, you know, words are up for grabs and um, we're not talking the same. And we need to get these definitions out. And so here's where the gospel is the offense. You know, I will not placate to your definition of who I am. If, you know, you don't get to decide who I am. The state doesn't get to decide who my, who I am. My mama doesn't get to tell me who I am. God has already defined that. And so whenever we sit back and, and we go, I'll, I'll let you define me. And then we're going to argue, then you've already lost the debate. Yeah. And so we need and to point out, as Dave um, has said, you know, we need to point out the gospel in that song, the identity um, that is back of color or class or anything that that song would actually speak about. Yeah, and, and the reality is that when James Weldon Johnson wrote this, 
very clearly, he points to a Christian worldview. He was a Christian, right? He really was someone who loved Jesus Christ, uh, and, and, and that's, a, a, that's a real key. And same thing with J. Rosman Johnson. Their God was the God of the Bible, right? So when they write, lift every voice and sing, uh, the reality is that they were looking to their hope in Jesus Christ. And gosh, Christians, don't complain about this. Celebrate this. This is good, but good from the right foundation. And that's key. Um, just such a key piece to me. And I just see Christians missing the opportunity to point things back to the creator, to hold every thought captive to submission to Christ. If we do that, if we, again, discipline our minds to begin to think that way because we've immersed ourselves in God's word and we've created a standard by which to evaluate everything, we can Gosh, we have such a beautiful opportunity in this day and age to evangelize and to defend the gospel. And I just, I hate to see that missed. Yeah, yeah. Sorry if I went on a little bit of a tangent there. That's all right. No, 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 no. That's all right. It's a current thing that, uh, again, we need to stay on top of the current things for the sake of preaching the gospel. So that's something brand new out there um, in in this, all this mess that we're seeing um, that we can see all the brokenness. Again, the world is broken. It was made good. It was made righteous. And we have destroyed it. And we're continuing to destroy it. And the only answer is Christ, the new Adam, who restores all things, who has authority over all things. And, and, uh, you know, that kind of leads us into, you know, the memes that we've got going on today. Yes. So, yeah, we, we promised you meme theology. Uh, we didn't get it to it last time because we thought we only had one episode's worth of stuff. Um, so we actually had two episodes. So we're going to kind of go back to what we had uh, last week. So uh, with that said, let's go into the meme theology studio. All righty. We're in the meme theology studio, Dave. Good. Uh, since yeah. I'm a little bit behind and not in the yeah. studio, I didn't get to hear the great music and all the cool yeah. lyrics. Uh, and I actually, I'm assuming, uh, what which meme do you have up? Oh, oh you know which I'm one I've got. This is uh, so you know for everybody in the podcast land, this is going to be a little bit late. Um, but anyway, this is July 4th. It's patriot. It's patriotic season. We are having a rough year. Because of everything with uh, patriotism, but something that has continuously uh, been uh, talked about, at least in amongst us Christians, um, we need to talk about this meme. And you know what it is, Dave? It's the first one in our notes, anyway. Yes, sir. American um, by birth, Christian by choice. Yes, and um, I remember teaching a apologetics class. Um, me being known to be pres- presuppositionalist and Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I seen this uh, on a shirt of somebody that uh, it seemed seemed to me if I'm going to judge motivations, I, I'm going to say that it probably wasn't. But it was just a uh, very interesting to first night teaching the way what I was teaching. And this is a shirt that I see on somebody that uh, doesn't come to my class, <laughs> you know. But anyway, um, I've seen this. Uh, it's a recently um, on a, on the on the back of a car. And so, you know, it's July 4th. Let's let's talk about something patriotic here. And yeah, so the meme is uh, American by birth, Christian by choice. And, you know, just to entitle this one, you know, the tale of two births. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Uh, Right there, if you look at this from a Christian worldview, you begin with the reality that, guess what? Of your own doing and of your own choosing, you didn't get all the intellectual information and then decide. Scripture's very clear in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 11. The natural man does not accept things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, I hate to say this, number one, the reality is that we should not be giving ourselves credit for our salvation, and that's all this meme does. And it also conflates two very serious issues. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so it just we got we and this is something that we continue to talk about and then we're gonna be talking about it here in the next meme. Um but you know I just have to put this out there for people. If you don't want to be known as a nationalist, you especially Christians, you need to really think about what you're saying here is like you're American by birth. You have no choice. Um, you know, this is like just just determine which you know, uh Acts seventeen talks about that. Paul talks to the area the Areopagans and says, you know, God has set up parameters, borders, and times for people to live. And so, yeah, we ha- we cannot uh, um, get around the fact that where we are born, we do not get to choose. Wasn't our choice, and we have to believe that God has put us here. Um, you know, not just in our boundaries, but in our time. You know, I'm Dave. You and me are here right now for a certain purpose in this point in time to serve God, and we don't have a choice where we are. Where we are. I mean, we can we can move around and 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 do do all that, but that's still. Only determined by God's sovereign choice where we go. We know that it's a calling. Um, if I was a, if I was called out of Springfield, it'd be to do ministry um, by the calling of God. <laughs> you know, and so I get that. Um, but here it makes you. You so you're saying that you're American by choice. You're cel- or birth. You're celebrating America by birth. But then you said, but I get to choose to be a Christian. Well, for one. Where, where where do you get that? I want I want that text. I know where yeah. they're going to go, right? You're going to go to but John likewise, 3. Here's the thing that I, I have real problem with when I see things like this. It's the idea that I am going to somehow distinguish myself as uh, different from those Christians in China, those Christians in North Korea, those Christians in Saudi Arabia. Friends, I should have more in common with those Christians than I do anyone who is a lost American. My identity is primarily in Christ. Yes, I'm an American and I'm not unpatriotic. And this is one thing that I think happens when we have discussions like this. Like we get oversimplified. Well, you're not patriotic. You don't love America. That's so stupid. That's so ignorant. No, I want to first and foremost approach everything from a Christian worldview. It's not that I can't celebrate that I live in a great country. That's a lie. The reality is I should celebrate most importantly my changed heart that when Christ ripped out my heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in it. And I love our dear friend Don Hinkle. I actually pray for Don frequently, right? But he always says, well, uh, when I go to heaven, I'm going to be an American. No, no, I don't think if you're not going to be married, which is much more important than your identity in your nation, uh, 
you're not going to get to keep that. Then this idea of, oh, I'll keep my fact that I'm American when I'm in heaven. No, I do not believe that for a second. That is something that will be so meaningless. If your marriage doesn't count in heaven, how could your national identity? Such a backwards position. And Christians, again, I think that we have married the gospel uh, in a uh, and an abhorrent marriage, we've married the gospel to patriotism in our churches way too often, and we've done so to the downfall of our ability to communicate the gospel. Our freedom in Christ should be celebrated much more than our freedom in the ballot box. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you're touting this Christian by choice again. Um, are you better than the person next to you that isn't a Christian? That's the big question to ask somebody and i've been told well yes yes i was smarter and i'm like whoa that smacks in the face of the gospel because it's not the one who wills or runs but it's god who has mercy um that's why i'm a christian because god had mercy on me i have to interpret it you know i can i can come into like after hearing the gospel going you know i i chose um you know i heard the gospel it was so beautiful that i came to it i had no well i would say i had no choice but to come to it um, but whenever you get into scripture and then you finally figure out that you have to define things by God's terms, then you get into the scripture and you get to go, I didn't choose that. I couldn't choose that. And God brought me to himself in his grace and his mercy toward me. I had nothing to, uh, to offer him yet. He still died for me. And he wanted me, and he's going to sustain me. He's going to conform me. Um, and that's the gospel um, I get to preach because of Scripture. So no matter what you think, um, as you have came into faith, um, came into trust, and, and, and coming into uh, making Jesus Lord, not, and you don't really make Jesus Lord, Jesus is Lord, and you've submitted to his lordship, um, you, can, you can go back and think about that, but then in hindsight, you need to be like, wait a second, no, no, this is what really happened, because God gets to interpret reality. He's the one that That's made right. it. And so, um, you know, whenever you're sitting here proud to be an American by birth, I can't choose any other way, but then you say, you know, you're making up a, this American Christian division, uh, like Dave said, you know, like, I, I, I'm not going to go to another country as a missionary. And be like, well, you know, you're you're a, you know, say you're a Tibetan Christian and I'm an American Christian. No, 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 we're both in Christ, and we have more in common um, than our brothers, you know, colloquially, as I guess maybe <laughs> somebody would say, um, you know, as, as our our fellow, like even my if my mom or dad weren't Christian, I would be farther from them than Dave. Amen. And so I have to count that as something beautiful and wonderful because Jesus did say, I don't come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword and that Jesus would be that dividing line between mothers and, and sons or mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, brothers and sisters, um, you know, and so this doesn't treat it that way. Um, and so we need to really understand that, uh, you know, whenever you get into John three, there, uh, this is the same thing. Whenever we talked about the eisegesis of Richard Toe. Um, he would, you know, he's a pastor that would say, we get to choose to be born again, but I, do, I don't get that. How do we choose? Yeah, uh, the problem with what Richard Toe does is the same problem that Leighton Flowers has with John chapter 3. Yeah. Uh, they don't deal with the whole chapter because before Jesus says anything about 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus has already said in John chapter 3, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The reality is Jesus is saying right there, it is the Spirit that changes your heart. It is the Spirit that is responsible for regeneration, flesh, and the term there is very clear. He's talking about people. He's talking about humanity. Human will is not going to bring about anything but more human depravity. Yeah. Uh, it is only when the Spirit intercedes. And then if you follow that up with what he says in uh, in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, he is making an analogy so clearly to how the Holy Spirit chooses whom he wants to choose to save. It's so clear. It's so evident there. Uh, and then he goes on, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Notice that idea. You must be born again. Who is it that is born? The flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirits. Where did that man start? He was flesh. And that can be traced back to what Nicodemus says when he says, well, how can I go into my mom's uh, womb and be born again? And that's when Jesus is like, it's impossible, brother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, and, you know, it's, it's in that spirit. We got to understand that Jesus was a man of the Proverbs. He was a man that wasn't going to answer the fool according to his folly and be like him. He was going to be one that answers the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And here is where Nicodemus is shot down because he was a leader. He was somebody that was looked at as a spiritual leader, somebody that had the the word of God to teach it and to be That's followed. Right. And here's where Jesus cuts the man down. And, and it should be a humbling experience for Nicodemus. And I believe that it was. Um, I believe that we can see in scripture that Nicodemus is really wanting to understand Jesus. Um, but he gets cut down here, um, because Jesus says, you know, um, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? So again, he's held responsible to the scriptures that they teach of Jesus, that they teach of what salvation will be whenever the Messiah comes. Um, he's been approached by Nicodemus as somebody that comes from God. Nicodemus recognizes all these things he should have known. Jesus holds him accountable um, for these things. Um, and, you know, so it's like, you know, if you don't understand earthly things, how can I speak to you um, about heavenly things? Yeah, right so on. this is a heavenly issue. Um, we do not get to be Christians by choice. And if we do get to be Christians by choice, then again, we have something to boast about. Just like I've been told I was smarter. I made a better decision than the other person. And um, I'm sorry, there's going to be people that come up to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? And he's going to say, I don't know you. Leave, right. get away from me, you evil doers. And so there's going to be a lot of people that say, I chose to be a Christian. And uh, Jesus is going to be like, I don't know you. Now, does he, being omniscient, being God, does he know them? Yes. He doesn't know them covenantally. And that's what's missing mm -hmm. from the American gospel is Amen. the covenantal. Well, well, covenant as American, we're American by birth, right? We are imputed with Americanhood by birth. We don't get to choose that. But I get to choose to covenant with God or not. That is the problem. Covenant yeah, theology 
Yeah, and this uh, covenant theology is missing from our pulpits, utilizing language of covenant, union, um, and all that in relation to what atonement and all that kind of stuff is. It's so messed up because of our hyper-individualism. Um, and, and so there is no, like, you know, why are people screaming for collectivism is because collectivism doesn't work. So you, then you go to hyper individualism well, without Christ, you have no, no connecting tissue <laughs> of the individuals. And then now we're back swinging to collectivism and we're going to lose sight of the particulars again. And this is the way it's going to swing back until you come to Jesus Christ and you realize all the work was done in God and not you until you bow down and submit to him and uh, realize the, the love that he has for you and choosing you and his mercy and grace. So, you know, we need to get rid of this bumper sticker off our cars. We need to get this off our t-shirts. We do not need to be um, going, I got to choose. Look at me. I'm so smart. We need to go. I know I'm a Christian because God had mercy. And I pray the same for you, non-believer. And I want to, I want to see you reconcile to God instead of calling you stupid for making a bad decision. We actually can be reconcilial because God chooses, not us. Amen. So on to the next one, since uh, we were talking about latent flowers, that is the next uh, meme up. That was the main kind of chunk that, and thrust that we wanted to have for today anyway. But yeah, here's latent flowers. And I know uh, this is a meme from Dave anyway that he wanted to hit. Um, and it is atrocious. And this is what I'm labeling uh, latent flowers is systematic absurdity. And so whenever you string a lot of latent flowers things together, it'll be absurd. For show, instead of just like yeah. little, little single one one offs. Anyway, we have a pretty good string of uh, of a systematic uh, theology here uh, about the gospel and being Christian. I guess so. Take it away, Dave. Closeted, yeah, the guy's a closeted uh, open theist, by the way. Yeah. Um, believe me, the only reason he's not open, he's not openly open theist, is because that position has been rejected by uh, not only. Uh, ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society, but it's uh, obviously blatantly rejected by the Southern Baptist Convention. His position leads to open theism every time if he's consistent with it. That's the reality. We've heard him say that kind of things. But his statement here is real, real simple. No man will stand before the Father and be able to give the excuse, I was born unloved by my Creator, John 3.16. I was born unchosen and Without the hope of salvation, Titus 2.11, I was born unable to see, hear, or understand God's revelation of himself, Acts 28.27-28. No, they will stand holy and completely without excuse, Romans 1.20, because God loved them, John 3.16, called them to salvation, 2 Corinthians 5.20, revealed himself to them, Titus 2.11, and provided the means by which their sins would be atoned. First John two two, no man has no man has any excuse for unbelief. Romans one twenty. This is a group of words strung together that are completely absurd. And I want to just kind of break it down piece by piece because if you've ever watched Leighton Flowers, the only thing he ever talks about is soteriology. That's yeah. the only thing he wants to talk about. We just, yeah, 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 yeah. We invited him. Yeah, we invited, I was going to say we invited him to come to a conference to talk about apologetical methodology. I wanted to see where he was at uh, in distinction from Dave and I. Um, you know, we really would like to have like him inside Tim Brugenkate, you know, not to necessarily like hit an issue, but like just talk about 
you know, here's size, you know, here's what he does when he hits the street and talks to people and tries to present the gospel and uh, answer the fool. And then I want to know how Leighton Flowers answers the fool because he's too busy in this, uh, what he would, what I guess he could call an interleague debate. Um, you know, I haven't seen him approach an unbeliever unless if he believes, which I believe is what he thinks is that Calvinists are unbelievers. So he might be thinking he's doing apologetics toward the unbeliever when he does what he does. But yeah, he doesn't want, he didn't want to come to our conference, right? Because he was too busy and he's just focusing on soteriology. And this is a guy. So we have Rob Phillips here in uh, Missouri, Texas and Missouri are the only two um, Baptist conventions that have an apologetics thing. Um, I think their Alabama right? does now. Uh, they do now. That's great. I think Alabama yeah. does. Yeah. And so this is this is the Rob Phillips of Texas. And if you look at Rob Phillips, he is producing great helps and works to people to understand the Trinity, understand theophany, understand apologetics with his uh, toolkit. Understand yeah. soteriology. <clears throat> if you've read yeah. Phillips's book on soteriology and compared it to Layton Flowers' book, The Potter's Choice. It's not even close. Uh, it, it's it's crazy how much better scholarship, again, Phillips does compared to him. But with that said, I want to yeah. just kind of break some of this down. This first statement that no man will stand before the father and say that he is able to give excuse, the excuse, I was born unloved by my creator, false. Yeah. How about Psalms 5.5? 5, 5? The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Wait, who is it that God hates? God hates all yes. evildoers. Wait, what do we know about man? David is very clear. I was conceived in sin. But then also, what does it say in Psalm 11, verse 5? This same idea. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Who is it that God hates? He hates the wicked. What are we before we're in covenant relationship with God? We are in sin. No sinner for person will stand before God, right? He's saying that no one can say, well, uh, I was born on love. No, no, you were conceived in th sin. You are an evildoer by your choice. You are born in Adam. Again, he erases the covenant relationship, the federal headship. Because of his soteriology, he has to erase the federal headship of Adam, saying that man is not born in sin. Man is not born a sinner because God hates sinners. Therefore, he has to go back and completely rewrite a covenant theological position in his soteriology, making a massive, again, a massive mess of the gospel. Um, the other element that I want to point out is, is Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. This is a key piece, uh, often overlooked, because this is interesting. What happens in Malachi chapter 1, verses uh, 2 and 3, is that Malachi is actually talking about Esau and Jacob. Why is this so important? Not only does Esau and Jacob, the notation about God uh, loving Jacob but hating Esau, it's not mentioned just in Genesis. It's mentioned in Malachi and it's mentioned in Romans. It's really darn important. And so he completely abuses this idea. But what does Malachi say at the beginning of his, uh, of his book? I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Esau, excuse me, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declared the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but mm. Esau I hated. 
I have laid waste to his hills and left the heritage of jackals of the desert. What is it? Before either one had done anything, what do we know about Esau? We know that God hated him. So I guess when he says no man, uh, Mr. Flowers has conveniently forgotten Esau. Esau can say, I was born with you hating me. Actually, before I was born, you hated me. So now, in order to make his soteriological argument, he has to erase Scripture and undercut what Scripture says. Well, if we even go to Ephesians Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were previously... which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler and of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath. So now he erases Ephesians two. There's nobody under God's wrath. If God doesn't, if, if, if somebody can, can't, if, if, if somebody can go up to God on judgment day and say um, that I was loved by you, everyone has to say that we were loved by you basically says, you know, Paul here can't say that we are children under wrath. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, further, that's a problem. Interesting. Again, he's saying that no man can say that God hates them. No man can say that, that they were hated by God. What's really interesting in Hosea's book, he also says in Hosea chapter 9, verse 15, about the nation of Israel, in verse 15, every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them. Who is it that God was hating? Israel, actually. Right. So those who were in the northern kingdom, God hated. So now, again, to make his soteriological position work, he has to erase or rip out the book of Hosea because he doesn't like that. Further, Proverbs chapter six, verse 19, a fault. Again, uh, you actually go 16 to 19. It says first this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that hastes to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Who is it that God hates? He hates those people. He hates those people, right? It's very clear. When you look at verse 19, one who sows discord, that is a person, right? God hates that person. That is very clear. Uh, in that passage, uh, further, Proverbs uh, 15, uh, 9, right? Uh, and this is a key piece when you're stringing these together to come with a systematic approach to this statement. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 9, but the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. So then we might ask, who is it that, that pursues righteousness? Hmm. Romans Who is 3. Righteousness? Well, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Which is, uh, by the way, you know, a summation of the Old Testament. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks to God. Are you ready? All have turned aside together and become 
become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So Mm -hmm. actually, God hated everyone Mm -hmm. in sin. That is exceptionally clear. But again, if you go back to Romans 3 and don't just try to proof text what you're saying, trying to push your argument, which is fallacious to begin with, and you actually read Romans chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. So follow 16 with 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only Son of God. So God doesn't condemn anyone, Dr. Flowers? Is that how it works? Oh, wait, no, they Hmm. stand condemned already. What does it mean? Does God condemn those whom he has saved? No, Christ became our condemnation. But those who stand outside, God hates. Yeah, and, and, so, and there's another thing that we need to talk about that it says that uh, they stand condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And so a lot of people then, okay, keep reading, keep reading. And we need to understand that Christ was preached to Abraham. And right. so it's not about they have, whenever Jesus came in flesh and he was rejected then. No, 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 no. From the outset, the Messiah was talked about. And he was preached to Abraham. He was preached to Noah. Moses knew about him. Now, they didn't know him as Jesus being in flesh and all that stuff. But Abraham, it does say that Abraham saw his day and was glad. And so they were rejecting the Messiah from before the Messiah took on flesh, dwelt among them. And then they rejected him then, too. You know, so we need to understand that, you know, this isn't just about a, we want to put a temporal timetable on that. It's after, after uh, Jesus was made flesh that uh, they, you know, they're, they're, they stand condemned already, not believing in the Messiah. That's the context because, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta live in the Bible. We can't live in what we think today. Um, that yeah. that people are rejecting Jesus and at that rejection. So it seems like, you know, th- this is called provisionalism. Um, Jesus provides salvation, but it's not effective until you make the choice. Jesus has to, um, he can't change your, he can't make you choose. Um, and so he has to supply, make it, make it available, but he saves no one. That is not the testimony of scripture. And so, you know, basically it seems like everybody's sins have been forgiven. And then now, um, you're made, you're, you're given the choice to follow Jesus or not. And then if you don't follow Jesus, like that's the one sin (laughs) that, that condemns you to death. And that doesn't make sense at all with scripture. That's, that's the only way that I can take provisionalism is that Jesus died for all, right? He covered all sin, um, so that we can make a choice or not. And then we are condemned because if, unless if you want to get into double jeopardy. Yeah. So to try to get out of double jeopardy, then it seems like we're all saved from our sins. All that's gone. And so we're just given one last little thing before Christ comes and separates the sheep from the goats is that we choose him or don't. And then that's like the final sin that we all commit. And it's like, no, 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 no. That just totally obliterates the, uh, the text. 
um, because they are condemned already because they have already, even before knowing Jesus, have already rejected him. Yeah. And that's the testimony of the Gospels going to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't have the Son. They didn't have the Father. Yeah. Right and on. they were children of the devil. <laughs> well, dude, yeah. and again, here's the one thing that I want to key in on, and it's funny. We're still just in this first little phrase yeah. of this. But one thing that Flowers does is a similar thing that a lot of other people do. And actually, he should know better in his exegete of this. When Christ is speaking to Nicodemus, the phrase there about, uh, again, the phrase there about the world had a particular context. Yeah. He is looking at a Pharisee who believes, again, he is the set-apart person. And Christ is letting him know, hey, I am here as the Messiah to the whole world. Uh, Christ is saying his work is not limited to one time or place or people, the Jews. The Messiah came and it applies to the elect from all over the world, no matter the area in which they live, no matter the ethnicity. Moreover, of course, in John, the world often opposes God. One thing that, that John does in his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 10, John chapter 7, verse 7, John 14, verse 17, John 15, 18, he uses that phrase, the world, as one that is in opposition to God. When he says in John chapter 1, verse 10, that the light came into the world, but the world rejected it, he's using that same idea showing so clearly throughout the gospel that the world hates Christ, but Christ came to save the world that hated him. And so when you try to say, well, uh, and do what, what uh, Dr. Flowers does here is say, oh, well, look, he's saying that's available to everyone in the world. You completely erase the reality that the world has rejected God. And when that term is used by John, it's a pejorative term. It takes on a negative context. Yeah, and so when and then when we move on, it says, you know, I was born like nobody could say that I was born unchosen and without hope of salvation. How about all the nations around Israel? Yeah. How about all the nations around Israel? God chose Abraham, promised him things, so that they would be in exile for four hundred years or whatever and under slavery, and that God would deliver them out of that. He raises up Moses and he says, you're going to go and possess all these lands. I am going to use you to basically bring my wrath on all these people that I hate and hate me. And I'm going to give you their land. And so he chose Israel. He chose Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, and so on. All these choices of God alone. And guess what he does? He destroys people he hates who hate him. He did not choose other nations. He chose Israel. Well, and here's the deal too, Adam. Uh, look at his proof text that he uses. Titus, yeah, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And of course, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. Has appeared. salvation for all people. Okay, that's where Dr. Flowers stops. He just pulls that text out and he stops. But actually, look what he what 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 Paul writes uh, after that, training us. What is it again? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possess passions. Wait a second. 
the grace of God has trained who? Us. He's showing the context of all people. What is it? Trained us to, again, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Wait, we can't renounce worldly passions on our own because the grace of God has to train us to do that. Yeah. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, ready, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself what? All people? Yeah. No, no. A people. A people. For yep. his own possession, who are zealous for good works. If you follow Dr. Flower's position here, then you have to become a universalist. Yeah. Why do I mean that? Well, again, grace is actually defined, right, scripturally. It's unmerited favor. Therefore, if this grace has appeared to all people, then all people have, again, been imputed with unmerited favor. Therefore, all people are saved. This is a typology, in other words. All people who are saved are saved as a result of God's unmerited favor. You need to move down to the full argument, which is found in verses 11 to 15a, people. There is a specific clarification offered. Who is this? Who is it that the grace has appeared for? A, people that God has chosen for his own possession. Paul has laid out a different kind, diff, different kinds of people already. If you go up, right? If you go up in the chapter, he's laid out older men, older women, right? He's defined, again, what this, again, uh, who these individuals that God, who these all people are. All people is contextually defined prior to this. But you get yourself into a real messy situation if you follow Dr. Flowers' exegete and you become a universalist. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Flowers. Yeah. And so moving on from that, it just says, I, nobody will be able to see say that I was born unable to see, hear, or understand God's revelation of himself. So yeah. see, hear, understand. God's revelation of himself. Uh, doesn't it say that things are spiritually discerned, that the flesh can't discern these things? That's um, right. So, First Corinthians yeah. 2, 11, 6. But I want to look at these yeah. verses that he's dealing with in Acts. Yeah, in, yeah, in, in, in Acts. Yeah, and so in Acts, he is uh, basically bringing up um, the Old Testament um, here that is brought out by Luke, um, saying, uh, go to these people and say, you will always be listening but never understanding, and you'll always be looking, but never perceiving, for the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Well, that's the one thing, is that they could understand the gospel, if they could see it, if they could actually experience the gospel of their own accord, they would turn and, understand, and, and be saved. But they can't. So you're saying well, absolutely nothing. Paul, yeah, and then yeah. in verse 28, I think, is where he's trying to build the majority of his argument. It is, therefore, let it be known that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Yeah, so he was unchoosing the nation of Israel. Bingo. <laughs> there you that go. He was, was unchoosing <laughs> because 
they had proven, and they should have proven it to themselves, that they did not love God. They did not want to obey God. They wanted to take and steal capital to build their own nation, and they, and they loved their own nation. They wanted their own nation so much that they missed their Messiah because he was a threat to them because they would have to give up their authority and submit yeah. to his authority, which then included the Gentiles. And it wasn't just a, <laughs> you know, so he unchooses Israel because they broke the covenant. And this is complete the new covenant. misappropriation yeah. of Acts 28. Complete misappropriation of the verse. Nowhere in there is Paul applying or arguing for human autonomy or for the autonomy of the Gentiles. Yeah. Luke has already made it clear that God appeared uh, to the Gentiles and brought them salvation. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 47. Uh, this is actually where Peter is going to Cornelius. And what is it that Peter is, uh, again, completely uh, blown away by? Look at verse 44 in Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who had heard the word. Mm -hmm. And the believers among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Yeah. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold the water for baptism for these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain there some days. Here is what is amazing to Peter. Not that they heard and understood and chose. It was that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, not by their choice, but by God's choosing. We already know what Paul's position is. Right. Mm. If you look at the whole canon of scripture and not just a few verses, pick and choose, pick and choose to make your own systematic position. We can look at what Paul says again in first Corinthians chapter two, verse 11, where he makes it clear. Uh, and actually, I'm just going to go with verse 14. The natural man does not accept the same things of the spirit for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Yeah. Is the gospel a spiritual matter? Dr. Flowers? Is it a, is it a spiritual matter? What can man do in the flesh? Well, we know from Romans that man can do nothing of his own accord to please God. So sinful man has to please God, but they have no ability on their own to do that. And God hates them. So then God chooses those whom he hates. Not because they did anything different, not because they got so smart, but because by his grace, he predestined before the foundation of the world, a people for his own purpose. Yes. And we can try uh, to, and because and, and, the people yeah, tried to ruin, God, well, people tried to ruin, Adam and Eve tried to ruin God's, what, if, talking in a human way, yeah. Adam and Eve tried to ruin God's plan. That's right. And you can't do that. And That's so right. after the fall, God is on a mission to have a people to himself because of the eternal decree between the father and son that the son would be, the nations would be his heritage. That's right. And that he would have a people. And Jesus gives, gets people from the father and nothing 
that is his will be taken out of his hand. That's the beauty of the perseverance of the saints or eternal security that um, Leighton Flowers would love to have as a, at least a uh, professing Baptist. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or again, this is, that. yeah, you want, you want that side. When you, hand, yeah. when you hand the keys over to human autonomy, yeah, without God guiding, without the Spirit leading, uh, if you can just reject the Spirit as easy as you can accept it, you have no eternal security, and that's problematic for him, yep. certainly. But yep. he's not going to deal with that. Yeah, we know. So that. yeah, and so here's where it definitely gets derailed. No, um, they'll stand holy and completely without excuse. Totally agree. They'll everybody's going to stand without excuse um, in front of God. But why? What is the reason why they will stand without excuse? Well, he says it's because God loved them. For number one, God loved them. Um, and he quotes 120. Well, I think uh, if you go back a few episodes, I think we deal really good <laughs> with Romans 1 through 3. No, That's they right. stand without an excuse because they know him and they reject him. So if That's you can right. take Romans and make it about God loving them, no, his wrath is revealed against the ungodly, ungodly and the unrighteousness of men who know God and suppress the truth that they know. You don't, like in, in Sight and Briggenkate's terminology, they don't go to hell because they sin out of ignorance. That's right. They reject what they do know. They sin against what they do know already. So it's not because that God loves them. They'll stand without excuse because they know God and they've rejected him a priori. That's right. So that's where that breaks down. And so number Again, two is that one is God because they, they'll be without excuse because God loved them and that he's called them too to salvation. Has he called all to salvation? Yeah, this is where it gets really problematic. So, Second Corinthians five twenty. The verse that he references there, because I think that it again demonstrates a fundamental problem with this hermeneutic. And guess what? We're not the first people to point this out. Uh, you can listen to the dividing line and hear Doctor Flowers say, "Well, I use a different hermeneutic for salvation than I do for uh, the doctrine of the Trinity." Yeah. Well, here's where you see the difference. Here's where you can either be a biblicist or an Aristotelian. Yeah, he says, uh, so, looking at 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled. Repentance. That's not salvation. Bingo. That's repentance. So, who can, who can believe in what they don't know, which is Jesus? They don't know about Jesus. That's why we preach Jesus. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the preachers, so that people can hear how can they, how can they know these things, right? Um, that's right but we're not we're not preaching that they're called to salvation they're called to repentance they should hear that the gospel a and repent serious problem with this hermeneutic there yeah so yeah us. he hasn't you haven't he hasn't called all people to re- salvation he's called all people to repentance repentance all that the father yeah. gives to me come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out for i've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jumping down real quick to verse 44, where he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last days. John chapter 10, Jesus says very clearly, uh, I am the good shepherd, of course, but he says that my sheep hear my voice, and they know my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me I give eternal life and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my father's hand out of my hand my sheep hear my voice I give them eternal life 
That is incredibly important. I give who eternal life? My sheep who hear my voice. Dr. Yeah. Flowers has a serious problem here. Yeah, and so, like, you know, he goes down and says, and revealed himself to them. He needs to put that first. They're without excuse because he has revealed himself to them, and they were already a priority rejecting it. Um, and since they were rejecting then, God hated them, has not called them to salvation unless if he has chosen a particular person for the church that Christ is building. Um, and so, so can we heartily agree with at least the last line, Dave? Yes. No man has an excuse for unbelief. Exactly. Totally believe there. And so basically, if you look at this meme and you take no man will stand before the father and be able to give the give minus the and then just say give an excuse, you cut out everything until the very end and says no man has an excuse for unbelief. Totally agree with this meme. (laughs) Take out the chunk of his argument and you start with the very beginning and the very end. I can totally agree with that, but it's everything in the middle here, and his this is absurdity because Lane Flowers is not going to believe that everybody's saved. And the reality is, again, we could deal with uh, the way he references First John two two, but he just does the same thing. He proof texts himself out of context. Yeah, and that's the problem for a pretext, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, well, brother, I probably better let you go so you can uh, get some time with your family. I'm going to do the oh, same yeah, thing. Now, or you don't want to do any more memes? Oh, <laughs> you got uh, some it's stuff almost to do. 11, so we probably yeah. better get going. Yeah, well, uh, we'll, I do, we'll I, I've really, I've, it's good that we've had so much ready uh, to go each time. We yeah. can probably go for another 20 to 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but we really wanted to hit the Leighton Flowers thing today, and I think that was yeah, great. Yeah. So we hit a patriotic meme. We hit up Leighton Flowers. And so, again, um, if we ever have the opportunity to talk with Leighton Flowers, if any of you guys um, are buddy-buddy with them and want to share this uh, live stream or whenever the podcast gets up, share that. Um, once I get everything finally uploaded to YouTube, share that with them. If you guys want to just inundate him um, with this, I mean, I think this is a great opportunity um, to go like here, here's you have actually finally systematically put something together instead of a bunch of one liner tweets. Okay, we can deal with you actually trying to put something together horribly, but at least you've got some sort of semblance of a train of thought here. Um, you know, let's share this away to late and let's see if we can get a conversation with him. If he wants to talk about soteriology, we'll talk about soteriology. Um, with it, but you know, we need to make sure that, uh, whenever we're seeing stuff like this, that, um, we stand in defense. This is literally what Jude is talking about whenever we're talk told to contend for the faith, um, wolves and sheep's clothing. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to be like this. Um, but That's if right. uh, Leighton continues down this road, I, there'll be a time where I will say he is not a brother and we need to watch out for him. And he is a wolf in sheep's clothing, um, with a, office in a convention of baptists and we will need to get rid of him but i there's there's still enough grace in me to sit here and be like well i think he's still trying to learn but there's a point where i'm gonna have to say no and you know this is what's hard for me but he has gone yeah. so down a wrong path. He's not even teachable anymore. And that's what that's the scary part. But anyway, um, with that said, I think we've got, got a good episode. Uh, we've got to get a good information out there. 
And uh, Adam, I'm yeah. so grateful you took time on this holiday to spend an hour and a half with me. Uh, I want to thank everyone who's listened to the show, who's watched the live stream. Always want to encourage you if there is something that you misunderstand or something that you think that we have maybe communicated wrongly, uh, or if you are concerned about even the tone in which we communicate. I've had people address things in a really kind way. Uh, we are not trying to be bullies, but we are passionate. And passion doesn't mean that you're angry uh, by any means, but uh, just such a blessing, Adam, to always get to do this with you. So thankful for all the hard work uh, that you're doing for the podcast. I want to thank everyone who's watched the live stream once again. Uh, share, retweet, uh, share this with your friend as a message. I mean, this is a great opportunity. I think we've dealt with two pretty cool topics, actually four if you think about it. Um, yeah. So I uh, hope that it is going to be provide going to be a good thing in the conversation. And uh, so hey, it's really cool. My sister is watching us live. Sweet, and, hi, uh, on, on hi, sister base. Beba. So <laughs> she's probably like, "Hey, Dave, are you are you almost done?" Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you guys have a wonderful uh, rest of your weekend. Thanks for joining us on a nice uh, Saturday morning because we've seen you guys pop up, and uh, just thank you for that. And so, with that said, this is the Tag Gear Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.